This is an amendment to the tax code, but it's really a new criminal prohibition on peer-to-peer transfers. And it's been overlooked. Hello there from Las Vegas. How are you all doing? You all well? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using to buy Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Abe Sutherland and Greg Zalis to discuss a provision within the infrastructure bill which has been overlooked. Now, this is a short interview. It was recorded last minute, and I want people to focus on the content, so I'm going to be skipping sponsor ads today. I will, though, give a quick shout-out to Gemini, BlockFi, Ledger, Compass, Sportsbet.io, Exodus, and Casa for their continued support of the show. Just as a quick intro, I met Abe and Greg last week in Austin at Unchained Capital. They were hosting an event, and they're two lawyers who've been spending a lot of time looking at the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill and trying to figure out all the ramifications that it may have for Bitcoin and, you know, also for crypto. They are now this was all huge news back in august when it was going through the senate twitter was going absolutely crazy at the time and no one really knew what the implications would be because of the broad language used in the bill and at the time the vast majority of the attention it was getting was around the definition of a broker so when i bumped into abe he was telling me that while this section is certainly important there is another section of the bill that could have a far more profound effect This was something I'd not really heard anyone talk about. So last minute, I got them together, got my camera guy in, and we recorded a show where they explained what the issues were and what their concerns were. Uh, It was so short notice, I didn't have any time to prepare. So I basically just got Abe and Greg to talk through and explain this. Yes, this is a really important show and something we have to follow more closely. If you want to follow Abe and Greg on Twitter, go over to the show notes. You can also access Abe's article there. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can jump into my Telegram group or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Good morning, Abe. Good morning, Greg. How are you both? Great. Doing well. All right. So we met yesterday uh, at Unchained and we were talking about the infrastructure bill. So we're doing a so everyone knows this is like a last-minute organized interview, but the infrastructure bill is on everyone's mind because it includes crypto provisions. I'm a Bitcoiner, so I obviously care about it. But uh, there's two specific provisions in there that you've been focused on, but you've, everyone's focusing on one, and you think there's another one people aren't thinking about or aware of the uh, uh, consequences are. So before we get into it, can you just introduce yourself? Start with you, Abe, so people know who we're talking to. Sure. I'm Abe Sutherland, and uh, I'm a lawyer. Work independently. I've written a report on this issue for the Proof of Stake Alliance, and uh, trying to draw attention to very serious tax and policy issues on relating to crypto. All right, Greg. And my name is Greg Exathalis. I'm the general counsel at MultiCoin Capital Management. Uh, also, recently in private practice, have represented folks in the crypto space since the end of 2012, and also a board member at the Association of Digital Asset Markets. And I'm sorry you're sharing a mic. <laughs> I, uh, I I've only travelled with two, so we're just going to have to make this work. Uh, okay, Abe, let's talk about the infrastructure bill. Let's just get straight into it. What is it that you were telling me about yesterday? Okay, there's this broker provision that's gotten all the attention. That's it. We're not going to talk about that one anymore. Okay. Um, we're talking about uh, the other provision. It's called 6050I. This is an amendment to the tax code, but it's really a new criminal prohibition on peer-to-peer transfers. And it's been overlooked until now, uh, and we're trying to get attention to it because of the nature of the statute that it's amending. This is using an old statute relating to face-to-face transfers of physical cash, um, and it's adding digital assets to it. And this old statute is such a mismatch to this new technology that it makes it difficult to see the implications here. But what it does is it puts uh, an obligation on recipients of digital assets to report, to verify the identity social security number of others and report it quickly to the IRS. And unique among reporting statutes, 
this is a felony. So uh, in reality, this is in the tax code, but, but what we're talking about here is a criminal statute. Reporting statutes generally deal with intermediaries, people reporting tax-relevant information to the IRS. This one's totally different. This applies to end users, recipients of digital assets, and also the people who send the, the assets to them in, in ways that I will uh, explain shortly. And it's also unique because, unlike all other provisions, this creates felony liability. That means up to five years in prison um, for violations. What do you think people have missed this? So it's, it's funny that I, I think uh, it's not an area that most people deal with on a regular basis. Um, you know, Abe and I have, have talked about this quite a bit. And, uh, you know, when I, when I first read the bill, uh, I, I thought oh, this is inconvenient, but assumed that it wouldn't penetrate uh, transactions on, on, on digital asset networks the way that it does. But it also goes to... Uh, you know, one of the overarching problems here, which, which Abe identified, is, uh, you know, if you're looking at appropriate parties to be regulated, whether it's on the tax side or on other sides, you do want to focus on people who are equipped to, uh, to, to fulfill a regulated role, not just people who are capable of being regulated, but people who are equipped to it. And uh, 6050i creates an enormous problem in that it creates obligations as regulated parties with material criminal liability for failure uh, on the average everyday, every, average everyday person who is not equipped to fulfill that function. We're not, as regular people walking around, uh, in a good place to capture the PII, the personally identifiable information of other parties, store that for how many years, Abe? Five. Five years, report it to the IRS, then figure out everyone you transacted with and send them a year-end statement. It's, uh, you know, it's really it's really problematic. And I think one of the reasons why it hasn't drawn as much attention is quite simply, it was easier for most people to identify the top line issues with 6045, with the broker definition, to identify the the top line issues on the digital asset definition. Um, you know, those were things that were easy to, 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 get, to get your head around. And it was also the time pressure of the infrastructure bill. Yeah. As, as we look for this, we, we should start with the first people to blame, which is Congress, right? This is, this is an infrastructure bill. This was put in there as a pay-for provision to justify this. And we're going to talk more about why this is not a tax act, really. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it had no name sponsors, no discussion, no committee reports, no analysis of its consequences, no discussion whatsoever. In fact, we don't even know the justification for it. So without that being flagged, that was the first problem. Are you referring to the, this individual provision? Yeah. Okay. So this you know, amendment to tax code section 6050I, along with that amendment to tax code 6045 and 6045A, were put in there. There's a, kind of a one-line CBO report saying, oh, this is going to add over 10 years some dollars. And we can come back to that and why that's highly questionable, especially with regard to this, because it's not really a tax provision. It's a, it's a criminal provision. Um, but there's, there was no presentation of it. And in the first analysis, that's no way to, to, to create new criminal offenses okay. in our system, in the spending bill. Well, so I was trying to think through it last night, and uh, two things came to mind. Firstly, if you can report on this, it's onerous and it's difficult. But actually, there are some complexities with this where it's, it's actually unworkable. So, for example, with Bitcoin, I can, if I know an address of yours, if it's public, I can send you Bitcoin without you requesting it. 
and therefore you've received something and you don't know who it's from. Yeah. So it's actually unworkable in certain scenarios. Absolutely. And you know, think back to the, to the other provision. People said, hey, this could be impossible to reply with, depending on how Treasury Department interprets it and applies it. All of those problems are in this, but, but more so, again, because it applies to everybody. So okay. every, everybody's potentially it. So yeah, the reporting requirement, remember, this statute presumes absolutely that it is an in-person transaction with physical objects. And your obligation then is to inspect their ID, to get their social security number, ask them their occupation, and uh, write down the nature of the transaction, pull up IRS form 8300, everybody should look it up, um, fill out this form, it takes 20 minutes, mail it to the IRS within 15 days. The statute only makes sense in the context of a face-to-face -face transaction and it obligates that type of verification. So number one, somebody who's not in front of you. Um, but number two, what about receipts that don't come from a person, an identifiable person with a social security number? Mm -hmm. Well, so, okay, let's, let's, let's take this back a step. The original provision for face-to-face, -face, is it above a certain amount? Is it above 10,000? Right, there's okay. a threshold. There's some important caveats, which also explain why it was kind of overlooked. Hey, it doesn't look big here. So, so you want me to dig into the statute? Well, so the question I want to ask you, is this like common knowledge as a U.S. citizen? So I'm not a U.S. citizen. Like, if I, if I lived here, would it be common knowledge? Like, if I was going to give... Jeremy over there, $15,000, I would know, know I'd have to collect this information. I, 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 think, speak. I, I think it's, it's well, maybe I, I speak from the wrong position because lawyers may not be the most common parties. And yeah. weirdly enough, the people who have been most prosecuted for violating the $10,000 uh, cash reporting are actually practicing attorneys uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, I, I think there's some understanding uh, particularly among people in the crypto community, there's an understanding of currency transaction reports, suspicious activity reports, course, because yeah. we've grown up, uh, the focus of, of uh, particularly Bitcoiners, the focus of regulation from 2012 to 2013 when it first started. When it first started, it was FinCEN. It was the May 2013 uh, report. That was the first guidance uh, followed by the IRS in 2014. And so we started looking at this industry from a money services perspective, people who are registering with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, people who are making, uh, and when I say people here, I mean these institutions making uh, reports on transactions that either have suspicious uh, nature or are over $3,000 in, in value. I would say, yeah, a lot of people don't. Now, part of this has to do with the limitation, and part of it already has to do with selective enforcement and how it's been interpreted, right? So, so th this is this is for car dealerships, lawyers, uh, businesses that, that take in this revenue. And if you're in that industry, yes, you know about it because your IRS agents are checking on you, and, and they may come in and do an 83 audit or whatever. The main limitation is it has to, the, the 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 cash or pretty soon digital assets have to be received in your in the course of your quote unquote, trader business. And that's been interpreted pretty narrowly to make it manageable, right? So if you're a car dealership, a coin dealer, something like that. But it's not just a business, it's not just a provision for businesses, it is for citizen to citizen as well. If it's received in the course of your trader business. Oh, it's only, it's only a business provision. Yeah, but there's there's some important twists here. Okay? okay, so the first thing is trader business is is not a clear thing. You you know you you can be as an individual. You don't have to have an LLC. You know your activity can be in the uh, a trader business. Um, but secondly, the 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 impact of this and and also the felony liability also does fall on anybody working with a business. So just to give one example, I pay you ten thousand dollars in Bitcoin for any reason mm -hmm. in, in your in, in yep. your trader business. 
you say, hey, thank you. Now I need to fill out this form 8300. Give me your social security number, a photo copy of your passport, your occupation, and whatever other information Secretary Yellen might require. Mm-hmm. Okay? I say no. And you say, no, I need it to comply with this law. I say, no way, I'm not giving that to you. That's my private information. That's a felony on me. So it's quite interesting because uh, I deal a lot with U.S. companies and I do have to fill in these forms. When I you know, submit a first invoice, they send me the form to fill in. Uh, it does, most of it doesn't make sense, but it's, um, it feels like a document to identify who I am. So, the W-9. Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that what yeah. it is? That's yeah. something else. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, a, different, that's a different world. Yeah, that's the stuff. That's, we, how much stuff can, is there? Yeah. A lot. <laughs> Why, but if, it, it feels like there's so much bureaucracy, and I wonder how effective these things actually are. Well, we actually have something called the Paper Reduction Act. Uh, right, and it didn't work well enough. Right, okay. It's because it, it creates a lot of bureaucracy, uh, a lot of reporting requirements to try and crap, trap criminals, but in the end, criminals will always find a way to route around these things anyway. So it's just kind of like, I, I, I wonder how much uh, how much damage these kind of provisions are doing. But anyway, let, let's go on. So it feels like we're lucky we've got Abe looking into this because nobody else was. Very. This could have slipped through. Um, Abe, is this malicious or incompetence? You don't want to speculate too much on the motivations of individual senators putting this into the bill, right? Okay. But that's one of the problems. There's no justification. There's no explanation. There's no uh, description of the evil that this is trying to address. So it makes it really difficult to do that. I think it's based on, look, if, if, if all that matters to you is tax collection and privacy considerations don't matter, and if you're not familiar with what digital asset, as they call it, technology means, you can see how they look at this. Because basically right now we have an existing system of surveillance under the Bank Secrecy Act and the tax code, uh, which means that generally speaking, large transfers, the government has eyes on that, right? Mm -hmm. One exception in principle is, you know, kind of peer-to-peer stuff. Number one example of that, of course, is cash. And then we have this 1984 statute, which kind of clamped down on that and said, hey, if there's peer-to-peer transfers of cash, we're going to catch some of that. Okay. Um, if, if, if that's your worldview, um, you look at a Bitcoin and you say, wow, the th- only thing I notice about that is Abe might send that to Peter and the government might not hear about it. And that uh, might lead to crime, might lead to underreporting of income. So that's the, that's the best case scenario for how you look at this. But the reality is this technology is not a substitute simply for cash. It's mm-hmm. a substitute for everything else that's done with value and so many other things. And what this does is say, in this example, of it eliminates the peer-to-peer element in any covered transaction because you've got this additional requirement to verify and directly report. And I don't want to focus on kind of the legal infirmities of this, but highly constitutionally suspect un- under the Fourth Amendment. Um, the Fourth Amendment being, um, there was a specific case regarding this, wasn't there? Not on this issue. In no, fact, but I'm, I'm, the, I'm trying to remember. The, you have to remind me what the Fourth Amendment is. I remember yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For, for for first and second are easy to remember. You know, security and privacy means uh, it prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Yeah, yeah. searches and seizures. Okay, I think was that, that was the one that came up with regards to Ross Albrecht's case, I think. I, I can't say. Yeah, I, I think I it was. Speak to the, yeah, to, yeah, I'd have to double check, but we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, so mm-hmm. you think... But I, I'm often hearing about things that... Uh, uh, that the federal government does that are un- unconstitutional. They seem to pass. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we don't want to lead with that. Um, <laughs> we're, we're working on it. A great work by Coin Center and Peter Van Valkenburg kind of fleshing that out. The first thing is to get people to understand what this does and what it could do, right? Mm-hmm. One of the problems with this type of regulation, the statute's really short. The regulations, the existing regulations are long. 
and the existing and the regulations that Treasury is going to come up with to try to make this work, because the language of the statute doesn't work with digital assets. That's a big question mark, right? So we have to work with kind of what we know now, and there's a lot of uncertainty about that. But under the statute itself, we can say this, this is what must happen. This is how the feds must enforce this. This is what it does prohibit on the face of the statute. And we can identify these problems. But what we have to do is elaborate how these elements of this statute, which again, apply to physical objects, um, might, in some cases must, but also might apply to digital assets. And, and, and that's the bigger picture of why this has been slow to catch on because that's complicated. So at some point here, I wanna run through these elements. Let's do it, let's okay. run through it. Uh, so, so the way I look at it, there's five pieces to this statute. Mm -hmm. uh, five things that need to happen. And if those things happen under the current rules, you have 15 days to, re to report uh, the information about the transaction, description of the transaction, nature of the transaction, details about the cash or digital assets received, the other party's uh, social security number, address, and other information. So now we're gonna back up and say, when does this get triggered? so that um, this obligation under the statute happens. There's five pieces. The first is a receipt. This is really important. Remember, this is in the tax code, but this has nothing to do with taxable income. It's not about tax, what your tax duty might be. It's not even about revenue. It's about a receipt. So it's, it's, it's explicit in the regulations. This could be custody, right? I hand you something, it's your, you're holding it, it's not yours. You might have to report that. So we're in Unchained Capital, they manage multi-sig, Multisig is beautiful. What happens when you have a receipt, uh, a two of three receipt, three different parties? Who's got to report it? Who mm -hmm. might be committing a felony if they don't report it? Now, there's a big complication here, which is element five when we come to the exemptions. So, so uh, I'm going to elaborate on that. But yeah, the nature of a receipt. And as you mentioned before, the first one is it's not a face-to-face -face transaction. Somebody might send me Bitcoin to an address. Yeah. I've, you know. Probably I've received it, even if I don't know it's there. I can't stop it. Um, I can't make it a condition necessarily of inspecting their driver license before they send it. Not the best example of that is the the, uh, the buy Bitcoin guy uh, behind Janet Yellen putting up a UPC code or the guy going on college game day getting $30,000 worth of Bitcoin because he held a UPC code. Mm -hmm. How's he going to comply with something like this? He's not. Yeah, he can't. It's impossible. So, so the first element is just a receipt. Again, it doesn't have to be taxable income. And that's important because what, what they're really trying to do here is discourage originally the use of cash, right? Criminals use it, bad guys use it. We're gonna smoke them out. Legitimate people can use banks. And now we got something to go after the criminals who are using cash. Stigmatize the use of cash and push people back into legacy financial institutions. Why would you go through the, the hassle and risk of, of, of using cash you got, all, you got to give up your private information to some other business you're dealing with. They've got the burden of complying with this statute and facing massive fines or even prison for not doing it. Why do it? Why not just go use a bank? Uh, then under the Bank Secrecy Act, we're going to come back to that. Government gets everything uh, that they need. Dave, hey, one, one point that I think is important, and I know you know the answer to this. What, obviously, the $10,000 number has been adjusted for inflation over the years, correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> so this, this magic $10,000 figure dates to uh, 1970 with the Bank Secrecy Act. Okay, so before I was born. Yeah. Okay. And they said when banks, and back then it was just banks, hey, when you get $10,000 in cash, file a report because you know, there's bad stuff going on. That was about $65,000 in today's money. Yeah which is a sizable amount of money, $10,000, 
you know, these days you could you might buy I might buy Jeremy's car of him for ten thousand dollars. Oh. Uh, so that hasn't changed. This statute came in nineteen eighty four. They used the ten thousand dollar figure again. You know, now that would be about twenty five thousand um, dollars. But let's focus on this because the second element. You know, so th- th- this is the second element. The transaction has to be over twenty uh, ten thousand dollars. Okay. Um, in cash, that's relatively straightforward, but there's a lot of gray areas even with cash. Mm-hmm. So related transaction co- uh, count. And those can be over the course of a year, uh, up to a year. Payments on a single transaction count. I lend you $50,000. You pay me back $2,000 at these intervals. Every time we trip the, the $10,000, I've got 15 days to report you again. Every 10? Every 10. Uh, so hold on. If you will... If you're using an exchange and you're a trader and you're putting money in out constantly because you're constantly maybe uh, funding your account and then withdrawing, so every time? Yeah, we, I, we're going to wait until we talk about the Bank Secrecy Act and the institutions because okay. th- this is the kicker, but it's the final point. This is okay. where it gets complicated, but yeah. Um, so transaction with cash is relatively clear, but you can still get tripped up and, hey, they're not looking too closely. But with digital assets... It's a lot different. So people say, oh, well, we just won't do transactions over $10,000, right? No. Any transactions within 24 hours from the same party count, related ones over a longer period of time. So if you're, if you're thinking about a business uh, dealing with this res- restriction, what procedures are they going to have to put in place? Any transaction could end up being a reportable transaction because it could add up over time. They could end up being re- related. Streaming sats for podcasts. Yeah. How do you know which sats have come from which person and when you've triggered that 10,000? What about, hold on. So it also has to be the um, the Bitcoin, dollar, the, the value of the Bitcoin at the time in dollar terms. Yeah. Yeah. But that changes all the time. That's right. Let's say I lend you uh, 10 Bitcoin and you pay me back at a certain rate. It's on me. Presume, look, we're reading into the statute. Remember, yeah. the statute doesn't make sense. But under the obvious reading of it, it's the valuation at the time received. So, yeah, you've okay. got to keep track. And let's say every 10 days it adds up to $10,000. It depends on the valuation over time. We haven't even talked about weird things like NFTs, right? Digital assets, anything counts. How do you value something? Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. But, yes, if you, if, let's say you pay yes. me X Bitcoin per day. When that triggers the $10,000 limit completely depends on... Well, there's an exchange rate for Bitcoin and NFT is subjective value. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What other parts of this? Because you said there were five. Okay. So, so just to wrap up on transactions. Yeah. So that's kind of open-ended and unclear in a way that really matters with digital assets. It didn't matter as much with cash, right? Okay. It can add up and like, you know, what, what, what counts as a related transaction, a single transaction and so on. Um, the, the, the next requirement is really important. And this is, again, one reason why people say, oh, no big deal, in the course of your trader business. So the recipient, this, this only applies to the recipient. Yeah. The payer can commit a felony by not cooperating, but it's the recipient's duty to do this. So you can force one, someone to commit a felony? <laughs> uh, arguably, yeah. yeah. And what, what's, the, what's the general punishment for this type of felony? Well, all, as, as I mentioned, all the reporting statutes under the tax code uh, are, I mean, in most cases, it's, it's fines and okay. so on. But, but all of them are misdemeanors, with the exception of this one, which is a felony, which means up to five years in prison. The fines are big. If it's a willful violation, the minimum fine per form is $25,000. Jesus, okay. it can be. Uh, it can also be just forfeiture of the amount. Oh, you didn't report that thing. Give me that. Oh, is that like when someone goes on a plane with more than $10,000 and they don't declare it yeah. and then they just take it from them? 
Yeah, different statute, but the same idea. But they same they, idea, they, they yeah, can yeah. just say, oh, you know, you're going to forfeit. Because I heard about some guy went on a plane, I can't remember, it was a while ago, like $60,000 or something, and he didn't declare it, and they, they just took it. Yep. <laughs> it's fucked. <laughs> okay, right, this, Karen. And there, there's a separate question on what how you treat your ledger or your treasure when uh, when you're boarding the plane, but uh, they have not applied. This this statute does not apply the digital asset definition to that. Well, because but there that, is a separate question because you're bringing property into... Yeah, but the, the, you're not actually you're bringing a device. That acts I would agree with you 100. percent But that's a subtlety that not everyone grasps. Yeah, because otherwise it's the the you can have the private keys in your head. So if you're in mm -hmm. your head, are you carrying it? Yeah, for another day. Okay. <laughs> um, the one element we've kind of glossed over, but just just for one second, is the definition of digital assets. Right. Okay. This is another issue that was discussed: how broad it is in the infrastructure bill. But it means any form of digital value uh, existing on distributed ledger technology. Um, now we're gonna get to the fun one. This is the final element. So you've got these things, you, you've, you've got a receipt. Mm -hmm. It may not be yours, but you've got it. It's over the threshold or it might be, or it adds up to over the threshold. Um, it's in the course of your trader business, which you know could be anything. Mining, staking could be business. Lending can be a business. You, know, you don't have to have a business an LLC to, 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 to qualify here. And there's no, there's no good definition of this, right? It's all defined by the courts. Mm -hmm. It's regular gain-seeking activity that over time, and you know, it's defined by the Supreme Court and judicial decisions. Over $10,000, and here's the kicker. Unless a financial institution is already reporting that same transaction. Okay. So this exempts financial institutions and banks. They don't have to do they're not covered by this statute. I thought it because they've already got the Bank Secrecy Act, which... Because under the Bank Secrecy Act, they've got something else that's basically the same, mm -hmm. the currency transaction report requirement. And if they're reporting it, first of all, if they receive it, any, any financial institution never has to file a Form 8300, okay? But other people who receive it don't have to report it if the other party is a financial institution and it's their job to report it. Fine. So this is Bank Secrecy Act. This is the tax code, and this is how they work together. And the obvious intention of this and effect of this is to discourage you know, use of cash before now the actual peer-to-peer -peer use of digital assets by encouraging you to go back and use a, a bank. Ah, uh, okay. Why would I send you? $10,000 in digital assets where I got to give you my social security number, do all this stuff which is totally incoherent and inconsistent with the nature of the technology, right? The reason we're excited about it. So if I was a suspicious person, I would wonder whether the banks have lobbyists who would be keen on such a provision if I was a su suspicious person. I mean, yeah, that's... <laughs> At some point, we got to ask this. I don't think people have been paying attention to this. At some point, we have to ask whether, uh, not yet, but mm -hmm. whether uh, cryptocurrency organizations and exchanges uh, are looking at this because they're going to they're be exempt. There's an argument that this benefits them as well. Uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are, are money transmitters under federal law. Mm -hmm. It makes them a money service business. That means they're governed by the Bank Secrecy Act. And they are responsible for these banks uh, complying with Bank Secrecy Act obligations. I'm going to go a level deeper. This gets mm -hmm. complicated. You remember last fall when Treasury floated some proposed new regulations under the Bank Secrecy Act? I don't, but fine. Okay, the midnight rule, man. Oh, okay, yeah. 
Those were eventually, uh, there was uproar because only a couple of weeks were given and there was a suite of regulations. But one of them was important. Under the Bank Secrecy Act, remember, our, we're talking about 6050i. This is the tax code. But under the Bank Secrecy Act, there's this currency transaction report requirement. And one of the proposals there was to extend that definition of currency to include digital assets to require financial institutions to report to FinCEN all of these transactions over $10,000 in digital currency, basically digital assets. That, that, that proposal, uh, there was uproar. It was pulled. It's pending now. Okay. That proposal is a big problem, right? I, I'm very concerned about it, but they, they at least went through the rulemaking procedure, right? Uh, the people spoke up. In this case, the people didn't have a chance to speak up. It was sneaked in. There was no discussion. There was no invitation. There was no explanation of its consequences by its sponsors. That provision isn't in place yet. That provision, if and when it is in place, is going to be what requires the Coinbase's and the Krakens of the world to report similar information uh, to the Treasury Department when there's a transaction um, over $10,000 in digital assets. Is that a concerning provision or is that, I mean, we wouldn't want any of these ideally, but well, is I, it expected? I, yes, it's I, concerning. It's, it, it is, uh, but it at least is imposed on the financial institution parties that mm -hmm. have the possibility of developing the regulatory infrastructure to comply as well as the, uh, it, this is apart from the financial privacy issues, mm -hmm. which obviously are paramount, but they're also sort of technical and, and security issues that come into play where if you are regulating a centralized financial institution like Coinbase or Paxos or Gemini, mm -hmm. they have an infrastructure in place. They have systems that are designed to hold this type of personal customer information. They're regulated on Honey the state pots. level. Exactly. But what you're creating when you start imposing those obligations on non-regulated parties is, do I want you to hold my personal identifiable information for five years? Well, it's, it's weaker security honeypots. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest problems with this invasion of privacy is that we are all being constantly hacked and having our data stolen at the moment. And this is a, this is a real problem. The, the, the breakdown in, uh, well, so the, the onerous KYC requirements or data that people have to collect has created honeypots. That means everyone's had their data stolen. And this applies device. to any person yeah. in, in a business. Uh, last week I bought a car and just to test this out, I paid in cash. Mm -hmm. So I, I went through that. This, this is the form 8300 um, and, uh, and, and what they collected from me. All right, it's a car dealership. They're used to this. Mm -hmm. They file it. Um, they mail it to the IRS. There's a way to do it online. At the end of the year, they're going to send me a statement. And then they've got to hold this in their files for five years. Any violation of that technically could be a felony. But this means that anybody receiving uh, digital assets in the course of their trade or business are going to have this or something like this, right? This is the existing regulation. It's all we have to go off of. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, your, your gardener, you know, you, you have a contract for $10,000 in digital, you know, paying in digital assets. They're in the role of collecting this personal information and storing it. I mean... There's an awful lot of information that would be collected if they do this. I mean, uh, the bureaucracy in this, for what? Okay, all right, anyway, let's continue. So have we covered all five points now? Basically, I want, okay. I want to dwell a little bit more on the Bank Secrecy Act, okay. right? And, and this is another reason why it's missed. It's complicated. We've got the tax code over here. We've got the yeah. Bank Secrecy Act over here. We've got regulations, uh, which unfortunately are a little too invisible to the public, right? All this stuff going on with financial institution. 1970, okay. that meant a bank. Now it means 
anybody who's involved in you know, monetary instruments makes you know, a money transmitter and, you, and you've got these obligations. I want, I'm going to give one more point to, to illustrate how inappropriate it was to, to, to rush this through in a spending mm-hmm. bill. Yep. These provisions under the Bank Secrecy Act that I've just mentioned, uh, the, the, the new ones that will extend uh, the, the CTR, the Currency Transaction Report, the Bank Secrecy Act obligations to report receipts and transfers of $10,000 mm-hmm. in digital assets that only applies to financial institutions, those are not in place yet, okay? This one is being rushed through. If, if, if 6050I amends, amendment becomes law, and let's say Treasury doesn't catch up with that other one, you've got an absurd situation where you and I are subject to 6050I, but financial institutions are not subject to the same reporting requirement under the Bank Secrecy Act. <laughs> Which suddenly means when I re- withdraw digital assets from Coinbase, what happens? This technically means that when you get digital assets from Coinbase, you have to comply with the reporting requirement. So I have to f- fill in a form for Coinbase? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking ludicrous. This is where I now start to think, I think sneaking into the infrastructure bill sounds malicious, but that this bit also then sounds incompetent. Well, uh, you know, it's, not, it, it's, it's also probably important to remember that the infrastructure bill had a lot of things that weren't read. Uh, but is, uh, <laughs> these bills are like used as opportunities to sneak things in, generally. Well, uh, you're going to have a lot of things that are gathered together I without get... opportunity for review from the people who are actually legislating. Uh, this is problematic because it, it's a new economy. Okay, it's yeah. a new technology. Developing the rules for this space is not easy. Uh, and there mm-hmm. are people who are trying to responsibly create rules, regulations, legislation uh, around the, the digital asset space that would promote responsible innovation here. There are a lot of them, uh, but they're not the ones who had the pen on, on this. And it's reflective of a, a problem that you can't rush things that could stifle innovation as well as attack personal privacy and constitutional rights. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> and the, the upshot and unfortunate piece is uh, the infrastructure bill is in all likelihood going to pass uh-huh. and that there is nothing that is reasonably going to be done to change it from passing. So the question then By becomes... When? What's that? When will it pass? Uh, I, I don't know the legislative calendar. I know there were some okay. votes last night. I don't think the infrastructure bill was among them. Okay. Uh, last I is, heard was uh, somebody announced end of the month as a, yeah. another, another drop dead but there, there's deadline, a, but who knows. There's a balance and tension between the Build Back Better Act uh, and reconciliation and, and the infrastructure bill. And there are a couple of different sides of, uh, of the Democratic Party that are going back and forth on, on what has priority there. Okay. So that's going to delay things in all likelihood and unless that whole process blows up. This will pass. So then the question is, what is our obligation as people in this community, in, in the digital asset community, to try and work to, to remediate it and, and be able to address it? And I think the first step is to to amplify voices like Abraham's, yep. which are speaking with specificity to the problems that will arise and, and the problems that are most sort of traumatic to the everyday user. Can, can, can this provision be amended before the bill passes? Are you sure, saying, yeah, absolutely, that's, if so that's, that's wants to. And everybody's going to say it's impossible, and maybe it is, but of course. Okay, so that's goal one. And if the bill passes, 
repeal the provision, you can have it repealed. Yeah. Okay, so it just it just needs dealing with. So, yeah. but, if, but but look, we're focused on now on getting the facts yeah, get out, out there, there yeah. and, and putting this pressure on kind of how, how that unfolds over time. Uh, I fully believe the the lack of awareness of this means that people were aware of this. Okay, uh, and and just just uh, this is really you want. Jack Dorsey, Brian Armstrong, Jesse Powell. I want, I want, I want people aware. who work in crypto to to read my report yep. and say, how will this affect me? And if and and I want them to ask their lawyer, their accountancy firm, mm-hmm. um, their intern to write up a memo and say, how will it affect me? So the the, the report, uh, the proof of stake alliance report that is out there is not designed to, to list all of the scenarios that might apply because again, this statute, a lot of it so doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, and it's unclear, right? Um, but I go through these those five steps, and somebody should say, "Oh, what's our business? How do I use these things? How might I use them in the future?" Right? That's the other thing about innovation. This is going to, you know, clamp down on this. Uh, we don't even know what these uses are. I don't list all of the applications because I'm trying to give people the, the elements so mm-hmm. they can they can figure that out. Um, and the first step is is for people to walk through and say, "Wait, oh, this will count." And then and then a lot of the time they're going to get to the end and say, "Oh, well, it might not count because the other party is a financial institution." And that's when I want them to say, "Wow, is this the world we want to do?" Where you know, look, the Bank Secrecy Act came in 1970, and it became what it meant is these existing intermediaries became critically valuable to the government for what general crime fighting mm-hmm. and tax enforcement. And now we've evolved to a point where there's new new options with this technology to do things essentially peer to peer. And that undermines this thing. It's, it's relatively new. It's only 50 years old uh, for what the government relies on for this enforcement. And what they're trying to do here is, is stigmatize this use to funnel, to push things back, either to make you just route a transaction through it or just increase the list of financial institutions. Because, hey, if we're all a financial institution, then we all have to report everything that we touch. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So that list of what counts as a financial institution has been expanding since 1970. Um, And this goal is to uh, kind of freeze that centralized model in place because of the extent to which the IRS, but the government in general, relies on these so-called intermediaries, these middlemen, uh, to, to, to report your and my financial details to the government. And I think the thing that's also a little troubling about it is digital assets, particularly Bitcoin, uh, but but most digital assets that don't have really robust privacy-enhanced features, have alternative systems to allow the type of data-driven analytical regulatory analysis. Um, You know, you look back at Silk Road, you look back at the pipeline uh, ransomware, you look at the businesses that companies like Chainalysis and Elliptic have built. Um, I recall, you know, academic papers from 2014 talking about the ability to actually trace information and de-anonymize, even then when we had few touch points that were actually reporting information on, on individuals. This is not properly applied to this technology. There are alternate means of, uh, of providing visibility into transactions that may be suspicious that don't rely on invading and creating potentially criminal obligations on the individual. Um, and it's, 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 it's just not good policy. So ideal scenario, though, this really needs to be picked up by senators to challenge it? Like, that's the only way it can be challenged, right? I think it's, you know, so Abe's correct. Technically, this can be amended in advance, but 
you know, that's trying yeah. to stop, that's trying to stop, uh, you know, the world's largest tanker as it's coming to port. It's slowing down, uh, it, or I shouldn't say when it's coming to port, it's at sea. Mm. Uh, you're not going to move this unless the whole thing falls apart. So it, the bill's not going to get reopened. Uh, in in all likelihood, all right, then we get more. Then we get more novos. But yeah, so, so, so novos, at the end of the day, this is in Congress. It's in it's yeah. in a bill. It's already there. But the provision can be repealed afterwards. Sure. Afterwards, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what we're working. That that's what I think we need to be focused on is, which doesn't mean ignoring the possibility of of amendment before passage. But realistically, we're looking at is there a, a will from the industry to try and educate on. Not only the technology, but but the problems with this particular legislation, and to 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 really push towards having some sort of uh, a repeal or fix. Look, so, something remarkable, in my opinion, happened eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Somehow, kind of the public crypto public Bitcoiners got up in arms about that broker provision. Mm-hmm. That broker provision is pretty arcane stuff, right? It had to do with like v- vague, or at least what, I, I think the whole thing is problematic. Most people are kind of accepting it. it. Had to do with kind of some arcane details about how it might be interp- interpreted to sweep in miners and other you know, mm-hmm. developers. Pretty advanced stuff to really get your head around. But that happened. That kind of blew me away. This one is, is much more salient, right? Mm-hmm. This, this applies to you and me. Um, again, there's this $10,000 threshold. People need to understand that it's more than that. Like if you're an NFT marketplace um, that's somehow going to impose this, it's not like you're ex- completely exempt if you're under, if you're selling or buying NFTs that are under $10,000. That's not the way it works. The, 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 the crimes are available now for everybody because this is a bizarre provision that, that criminalizes kind of end user behavior, not true, uh, true middlemen. So I look back at that, and I, w- I was amazed at the time that this got that that leverage because it was a kind of fine-tuned, nuanced point. This one's very complicated, but but the upshot, when you look at the, the cases that are covered by it, um, is much more immediate and, and dramatic and goes straight to the heart. And, and, and to be honest, it really raises some deep questions, right? Mm-hmm. People ask me, like, oh, how do we fix it? Let's amend it. You can't amend this. This goes to the heart of the dangers of peer-to-peer t- technology, and they're there, Right. The, sp- the sponsors haven't laid them out, so I'm not, it's not my job to defend yet or to offer alternatives. Right? People say, well, how are you going to fix it? I'm like, well, they haven't told me what they're trying to do. They haven't told me what their values are. They haven't given me any evaluation of the consequences for my privacy and freedom and how this is going to entrench banks and existing institutions. All I have to do is say, you didn't do this. That's enough to stop it. But um, it does raise deep, deep questions about um, government surveillance and, mm-hmm. and this being a tax bill, it's all about tax collection. Well, what's the trade-off? At what point do we say enough surveillance? Hey, maybe that's not worth the trade-off uh, if we're going to kind of respect people's autonomy and dignity. Um, uh, that's that's a fundamental conversation. And there's other aspects too. You know, money laundering, counterterrorism. Those are real questions. Um, but but they need they need to be addressed head-on and not slipped into a... Well, we're uh, heading towards book. complete surveillance of every single financial transaction. I saw uh, that Janet, Janet Yellen wants to uh, bring down the, to $600. There's another yeah. thing floating out there now which would require banks and financial institutions um, to report uh, at the end of the year everybody who had net inflows or outflows of their account that are you know over whatever threshold they decide might be $600. Doesn't matter if it's ten thousand dollars. I saw this uh, to uh, flag it, and and yeah. I saw this great tweet yesterday. Somebody put uh, the government can lose trillions of dollars, but they want to know what I spend six hundred dollars on. 
<laughs> yeah, look, big questions, big questions. It's all important stuff. What's the call to action here, Abe? What do you want to see happen? Like to tell people who are listening. I, I want everybody who works in this space to at least have an answer how this would affect them. Okay. Um, I try, that's the purpose of the report. Again, I wish I'd kind of done more scaremongering, right? List the transactions, list the things that might trigger this. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's it's too broad, right? If you work in NFTs, if you work in Bitcoin, if you work in DeFi, you might have uh, 10 receipts an hour a day um, that qualify. The statute says you need to report the social security number of the sender. There is no sender. Does that make you a felon? Does that mean you can't use that technology? Probably not. Probably Treasury come out and say, oh, we don't mean it. The statute requires that information, but if, you know, um, and they'll try and patch it up. I don't think that's legal. I don't think that's right. That's not the way you govern a country. Um, but you, you, we need people to raise these questions mm-hmm. and say, you know, how do these tokens move around? And then when you notice how it's going to be exempted because of the Bank Secrecy Act and how that's going to undermine digital assets by entrenching existing financial institutions, um, you know, you, it'll help piece together the big picture. All right. Uh, where do people find this? Tell, I mean, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, where do they find this? Proof of Stake Alliance. Okay. Uh, Proof of Stake Alliance. That's where my report is. And uh, your brand new Twitter. <laughs> my, my new, my, yeah, I guess so. My new brand new Twitter at Abe Sutherland. Okay, right. Pr- appreciate you coming on. We'll get the message out. Uh, we all need to get over to this conference now. Uh, Greg, great to meet you too. Absolutely. And thanks for doing this. I, I'm sorry, I like little time to prepare and it's quite a complicated thing. So I, I just had to let you roll with it. Excellent. All right, take care, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, it's quite an important show, right? Um, obviously, a very important issue. It's hard to know how to help with these things, but I think raising awareness is super important and everyone should go and follow these guys, read Abe's article, keep up to date, and hopefully Bitcoiners can push back against these massively overreaching regulations, which also seem kind of stupid because I think they are mostly unworkable. Anyway, thanks for listening. As ever, if you want to get in touch, the best place is our Telegram group, or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello what Bitcoin did.com. I'm coming to the end of this trip. I've been away for a couple of months now. I've been so many places. Texas, New York, Miami, Cincinnati. God, forget everywhere I've been. But it's been a long and tiring trip. I think this is the last time I'm going to do a trip like this. I'm absolutely shattered. I've been away from my kids for too long. I think in the future it's going to be one month away. I'm going to pick a city. I'm going to stay there, build a studio, and get people in for interviews. So keep an eye on that. Probably Austin next March. Anyway, yep, off to LA soon. I love you all. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all on Wednesday. 